Ah, well, uh, this is Jason, in case you haven't met Jason Tarka, and, uh, and Jason is our, our candidate for the associate uh, pastor position, uh, overseeing Grow Group Ministry, uh, preaching uh, when I'm not up here. And uh, I, so I gave Jason a hard time last night, and I just have to do it again, because um, I, I noticed his shoes, and so like that's what you're going to preach in? Totally. Yeah. Is that how they do it in Portland? They totally. Yeah. So anyways, I knew this was coming. So a couple things. First of yeah. all, uh, these are shoes for preaching. Yeah, those mm-hmm. are running no, shoes. No. And, and, and these, I'm not running a marathon, These are called bro. socks. Yeah. Those are called socks. Have I you have noticed? socks. I have socks on okay. underneath there. So a couple things. First of all, I have socks. I have socks. Do you like Grumpy Cat? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. So uh, anyways, I got some Thanks, socks man. for you. And, Did you uh, wash these? Uh, they've never been worn. Oh, Are you okay. kidding me? Yeah. I never wear those things. And uh, I got some running shoes for you <laughs> oh, for uh, preaching in. Um, so what lo- do you run in? Do you run in these? Yeah, I run in those. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway. It's backwards uh, in Washington. It is, it is. It's totally it is. backwards. That's how we do it here. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Jason has been most recently at Mosaic Church, uh, Cross River in Portland. And um, we've had the opportunity, the search committee, to listen to some of his sermons. And we're just really blessed by his teaching. Jason has a heart for God. He loves God. And he loves people. And that really comes out in his preaching and uh, in his time with people. And our staff have just really enjoyed uh, our time with you. And um, I just really feel in so many ways uh, that God has just been preparing Jason for Gateway and Gateway for Jason. I think there's a, a great partnership that can be had there. So Jason, I want to thank you for uh, kind of going. I know it's a long process yeah. that we've been going through. Um, and we are totally looking forward to hearing from God this morning through you. Thanks, man. Thank you, Jason. Well, I got a free pair of shoes out of it, so thanks. There you go. That's right. <laughs> man, I, you already did it. Keep, can you clap for the band again? Uh, thanks. Um, I'm a rocker, but I, I have a soft spot in my heart for viola and for ukulele and piano, so that was just fantastic. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, let's pray and we'll jump into the text. God, that you, uh, you are here this morning. You are near to us. And no matter what, what type of a week that we've come from, whether it's been a week of, of joy and happiness and we feel like we're close with you, whether it's, it's been a week of, of struggle and and frustration and failure, that you, you long to meet with us here in this place this morning. And so, God, we, we ask that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, allow your word to just penetrate our soul and, and our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to understand what it means to follow after you, that you're our God and that, and that we're your people. And, and I pray that after we look at this text and as we continue to worship, that, that we'd be changed, changed from the inside out because we encountered a God who is a living and who is here and wants to speak to us this morning. So God, we, we give you this time and we give you our hearts. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Question, as we start this morning, does God hear us when we pray? Does God hear us when we pray? Tomorrow morning when when you leave for work 10 minutes later than you wanted to, and that 10 minutes is the difference between moderately bad traffic and mind-numbing bad traffic. 
and you get stuck in this sea of red lights on the 205 on your way into Portland for your job, and you grip your steering wheel, and you realize that your boss said that you have one more chance at being late. And if, you, if you're late one more time, you lose your job. And you're looking at this just wall of cars, and you, and you grip your steering wheel, and you throw up a prayer, God, just part this car, this sea of cars, and get me to work on time. Does God hear that? Or, or maybe you're in algebra class on Tuesday, and you look down at your final, and you look up, and you look down again to make sure that you're in the same cl- right class, and you look at it, and it looks like it's written in a different language, and you realize instantly that you didn't s- study enough or at all for your algebra test, which was my entire high school career, uh, and you shoot up a prayer that sounds something like this, God, I will do anything for you for the rest of my life if you just give me the answers to this test. Does God hear you when you pray? Or, or maybe later tonight, as you're lying in bed and you're watching the clock turn from 2 a.m. to 3 a.m., to 4 a.m., and the weight of the world is collapsing on your chest. Maybe it's a decision that you need to make. Maybe it's a hard conversation you need to have with a loved one. Maybe the words cancer are just swimming in your head. Maybe you realize that you're not going to have enough money to make it through the end of the month. And you pray with the last amount of energy you have. God, just save me. Does God hear you when you pray? And if God hears you on on 205, if God hears you in algebra class, and if God hears you when you're in the depths of despair, does, does he respond? Does he respond to you? Does he respond when you're on 205? Does he respond in algebra class? Does he respond to you? This this morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that answers these questions. And in this passage, we'll we'll find that that not only does God hear us and that God responds, but but that God is the God who is, is near to us and that God is the God who actually makes a way for us to know him because he wants to know us as well. So Gateway, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? To Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. If you're a guest or if you're new to the Bible, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. And it, and it tells the story of this guy named Moses. And Moses is an interesting, interesting character because Moses was born a Hebrew, but he was raised by Egyptians. And if you were with us the last few weeks, you, you'll come to know that as he, as he grew in Egypt that he, he came to know his heritage as a Hebrew, and he did this horrible thing. He actually killed an Egyptian, and so he had to flee from Egypt. So we pick up the story at the end of chapter 2 in verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So here, Israel's in slavery. Moses is not on the scene anymore. And they cry out. The people of God cry out to God. I love how Eugene Peterson, in his translation, how he translates that last verse. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. He translated it simply as God understood. That, that God understood. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So Moses starts his day like every day he's had for the last few decades. He wakes up, puts on his robe, hand grinds his Stumptown coffee into a pour-over, walks outside, sips his, his freshly poured-over Stumptown coffee, and he looks out at his sheep. And this is his day. He's tending the flock on this mountain, and all of a sudden, he sees this bush, and it's on fire. But it's not totally on fire. So he goes over to this bush. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses is staring at this bush that's on fire, but not completely on fire. And he goes over to it. And when he goes over to it, God sees that Moses is interested. And so God pursues Moses. So there's this call and response that starts. It's the beginning of a conversation between the God of the universe and with Moses. And God says his name, Moses. And then he says that this, this ground that you're standing on is holy. It's set apart. It's, it's other because I'm here. So take off your sandals. Then he introduces himself to Moses. I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I know this may come as a surprise to some, but Moses didn't have Facebook he, he didn't have Instagram or Instagram story. He, he didn't have Twitter. He didn't have Snapchat. He, he didn't have books. He didn't have Apple News. There were no libraries. There weren't these things called newspapers that we used to read. Um, he didn't have the internet. And so everything that Moses would have known about God would have been stories passed down. So theirs was an oral tradition. And they would have told stories about their fathers and their family. And so when God said, let me introduce myself to you. I'm the God of your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And instantly Moses would have started to, to think through okay, the stories, the stories. Abraham, yes, I remember there was this man named Abraham. And he worshipped another God. And then all of a sudden this other God called him out 
to go to a different people and a different land. And he made this crazy promise to Moses, to, to Abraham, that he and his wife Sarah, even though they were a hundred years old, they would have descendants. And so many descendants, they'd be more numerous than the stars in the sky. Yeah, I remember this guy. I remember this story. And that God promised Abraham and Sarah, and it actually came true. They had a son named Isaac. And I remember the stories of Isaac. And Moses would have recounted this, this story of Isaac that's been told and retold throughout the generations. That, that, that Isaac was, was a child, and, and this God that Abraham worshipped save Isaac, saved Isaac from a near child sacrifice. And what Abraham and Isaac would have learned in that moment is that even though all the other gods around them in the ancient Near East would have called for child sacrifice, this God that they started to worship was different. This God actually doesn't call for child sacrifice because he doesn't want that type of a sacrifice. And then he would remember the stories of Jacob. And he would have remembered that that Jacob was a character and, and that Jacob actually wrestled with God. And then later on, He would have remembered another story that that God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So this is how Moses is being introduced to God. And like us, Moses would have had thoughts about what God is like, who God is like. See, it's not unlike our time. That that term God was not a common denominator for Moses. It's not a common denominator for us either. If you were to ask Moses, what are your thoughts about God? He'd give you some of the stories of, of Abraham and, and Isaac. But he had some thoughts that just weren't, weren't true about God. And, and if you'd ask us in this room, there'd be some overlap about what we believe in God. But there'd also be some, some discrepancies in how we describe God and his character and his nature. See, God's not a common denominator. That word is not a common denominator for all of us. Let me, let me read you this quote on this topic from a, from a Portland author and, and pastor. Let's assume for now that there is some kind of an invisible but real being who made everything. And for now, let's call that being God. If so, what is God like? Kind or cruel? Close by and involved in my life or far off and aloof? Strict and uptight like a fundamentalist preacher or free and easygoing like a good, educated progressive? Does he vote Democratic or is he Republican? Maybe Green Party. Maybe he doesn't vote or maybe he votes for himself. Or how about this one? Is God even good for the world anymore? Fewer and fewer people answer yes. What if God and religion are just an endless source of violence and hatred and bigotry and hypocrisy and really bad music? Who is this God we love, hate, worship, blaspheme, trust, fear, believe in, doubt, cuss in the name of, bow to, make jokes about, and most of the time just ignore? I would argue that how you answer this question will define you. The 20th century writer, A.W. Tozer, made a stunning claim. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that again. 
What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say this. Here's a truth that cuts across the whole of the universe. We become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. Put it another way, what you think about God will shape your destiny in life. What you think about God will chart your course for the rest of your life. And it's true for us today, and it was true for Moses. But now here he is, standing on the side of a mountain, talking to a bush that's on fire, but not completely on fire. And the God of the universe, the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is introducing himself to Moses because God wants to be known. Because God is a relational God and he wants to be known. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. So now God reveals more of himself in this, in this passage. That not only am I the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm actually the God who sees, I'm the God who hears, and I'm the God who responds. One of my earliest memories of, of God and what God was like, I, I was in fourth grade. It, it was a, a day unlike today. It was a warm, late spring, early summer day on a Saturday. And all I wanted to do was put on some shorts, put on my hat on backwards, and get on my skateboard and ride all day. And as I'm eating breakfast, my mom tells me that I have to go to a wedding that day. So that means I have to put on clothes I don't want to wear. I have to sit in a church building I don't want to be at. I have to be at a wedding celebrating a marriage of two people I don't know and don't care about and pretending I like all the people that I'm around, this, my, my family. And so I get dressed and I remember getting in the car and going to this church and I remember as we got out, we were walking up to the church. Now, I, I need to tell you just a little bit about my grandma uh, for this story to make sense. My grandma was at the same time both deeply spiritual and loved God, but also given to crazy old wives' tales. I mean, she would believe some crazy stuff, right? And she kind of coexisted in that universe together. So as I'm walking up to get into the side of the church, my grandma stops me. And she, she kind of gets down to my level and she says, Jason, do you know what that is? And I said, it's a, it's a church, Grandma. She says, no, 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 no. It's not just any church. It's a brand new church. And do you know what that means? No. And she said, if you walk in there and you ask God for three wishes, they will come to you and God has to answer you. And as a fourth grader, that logic seems sound to me. And now... This day completely wasted of being inside at a wedding I didn't want to was now a day of elation because I had the God of the universe at my beck and call. So I walk into the church building and I launch up my first wish, my first prayer, my first request. And I wish for a million dollars. My second wish followed instantly and that was for an electric guitar, which in hindsight... 
was a wasted wish because I could have used part of the money from my first wish. So my third wish, now the turmoil started to set in at this third wish because I realized that not everyone had the knowledge that I had at that moment. And not everyone had the God of the universe at their beck and call. And what I really wanted for my third wish, I really wanted God to make me the most famous rock star of all time. Like I wanted to travel the world, write the greatest songs, play with the greatest musician, win Grammy Award after Grammy Award, win Songwriting Award. I wanted to be like the Beatles and David Bowie and the Rolling Stones, like all mixed into one, right? But I knew that if I had God in the palm of my hand, and then I had power, and with great power comes great responsibility, I felt like I needed to pray for world peace, (laughs) which clearly didn't come true. It's a ridiculous and silly story. But what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. And what happened was, it took me years to unlearn and unravel this thought that God was at my beck and call. It took me years to unlearn this truth about God, as silly as that is. This subtle, this subtle interaction between my grandma and I, it took me years to unlearn that. And for some of you, This is actually how you pray. Now, you don't call them wishes or requests, but but maybe you treat God more like like Amazon. You you go online, you look at all the options you have, and you say, oh man, I really need a new marriage because this one's not working out right now. Click, put in your shopping cart. Or maybe your kids are driving you crazy. And so click, new kids. Or maybe a new job or a new car. You have Amazon Prime, so it's going to get here in two days. Buy now, boom, done, and you're off and on with your day. Or maybe the flip side of that is true for you. Maybe you don't treat God like a genie, but maybe you actually don't believe God's on the other end of the, end of the line when you call, that your prayers hit the ceiling of heaven and bounce right back down. Like God's just not interested in you. He doesn't like you all that much. And why would he listen to you? He's got other things to do. See, both sides of that coin reveal something that's different from what God is revealing here in the life of Moses. God is relational. And he's introducing himself to Moses as the God who sees his people, who hears his people, and who responds to his people. That he wants to be in relationship with his people. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. God, who, who am I to go talk to my neighbor? Because I feel this prompting that, 
that you want me to share about you with my, who am I? My life is pretty messed up. I, I've barely read this book. I'm barely hanging on. Who am I that I should go talk to my neighbor? God will be with you. Who, God, who am I that, I understand that my coworker's really struggling right now. I, I get it. And I, I feel this prompting that I, I should go up to my coworker and, and tell them that I, I follow Jesus and, and that I believe prayer works and that God hears us when we pray. And I feel like I need to pray for my coworker. But man, who am I? God, God will be with you. Who am I that, that I should actually that I should actually tell my children about Jesus? Who, who am I? I barely know anything. And man, kids ask the hardest questions. Who am I? And God says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So let's just, let's just kick this around, God. Let's just pretend I'm actually going to do what you want me to do. And that people, the Israelites, ask, well, who's sending you? Like, first of all, who, why are you here and who's sending you? And God says, tell them I am who I am has sent me. Now, in English, we would ask, what is your name? And so let me demonstrate here. Hi, my name is Jason. What's your name? Chris Carlson. Chris, good to meet you, man. That's not what God is asking right here. That's not what Moses is asking. What Moses is asking, and this is where the Hebrew and the English don't translate very well. Moses is actually asking a far deeper question. He's not asking, hey, what is your name? He's asking, so let's play this out. Hey, my name is Jason. Hey, what is your nature? What are you about? What, tell me all of your biggest hopes and dreams and fears. Tell me everything about you. Tell me about your crush in fifth grade, your first kiss. Tell me about the dreams and the plans you have for the future. Tell me everything about you. What's your favorite basketball team? What's your favorite football team? Tell me what keeps you up at night. Tell me everything about you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey, can we get up for Chris? I did this last night, and the, the, the woman I did it to, she kind of looked at me like with wide eyes, like, whoa, she's like backing away from me. Well done, Chris. So Moses isn't asking, hey, what is your name? He's asking, what are you about? What is your nature? And God says, I am who I am. Or a better way that we can translate that, or a different way that we can translate that would be, I, I am what I'm becoming, or I am what I will be, or I, I will be who I will be. What God is saying is that, Moses, as I was for your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will be for you, but more, more importantly, I will be always. So if I was 
unbearably merciful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will be unbearably merciful to you. And I will always be unbearably merciful. If I was unrelentingly gracious to your fathers, Moses, I will be unrelentingly gracious to you. And I will always be unrelentingly gracious to every generation to come. See, God doesn't change. If God is kind, he's always kind. If God is loving, he's always loving. But we change. Right? My emotions are like this throughout the day. I'm happy. Something happens. I get frustrated. I get tired. I get anxious. I get anxious. I get anxious. And then all of a sudden something works out. I'm like, oh, I'm happy again, right? But God's not like that. God's character doesn't change. And what he reveals to Moses in this text is that if he is the God who sees his people, who hears them and responds, he will always be the God who hears his people and responds. Always. His nature doesn't change. He will always be the God who's watching his people, who hears them when they cry and responds to them when they cry. And he goes on to say this. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. He doesn't change. He's never changing. So what God reveals to Moses here is that he wants to be known. He's a relational God and that his nature never changes. Scott, I didn't set my timer. And so I'm just going to roll. I'm going to go off script here. I didn't do this last night, but I'm going to go off script because I, I'm going to play ignorant. I have no what time it is. So I'm just going to go. So this is what's really interesting. <clears throat> is that when you turn the page to the right a few chapters, God leads the Israelites out of Egypt. And they get to this mount, Mount Sinai much like the story here, the base of a mountain. And Moses sets up a tent, a tabernacle, um, and he communes with God. The, the text says that he actually talks with God face to face, like friends they do. But here's the deal. If Israel, the people of Israel had questions about God, they would actually go to the tent and ask Moses, and then Moses would inquire about God. And there'd be this, this, this cloud of Literally, it says glory would go over to the tent and Moses and God would commune. They would have relationship. They would talk to each other. And that's great, but the people had to go through Moses. Now, this is what gets really interesting is that when you turn the page from the Old Testament to the New, to the Gospel of John, John says this about Jesus, that he made his dwelling place among us. So it's the same word that's used, that dwelling place that Moses used in Exodus 33 and 34 when, when he would tabernacle the tent. That God would dwell, that Jesus was dwelling with his people. And that he made his glory known. It's the same word from that cloud that is being shown above the people of Israel. The same word is being used for Jesus right there. And what John is getting at is that what he was staring at 
was the very embodiment of God. The very embodiment of God. It was God. The same God that was there for Moses was now here. But here's the difference. Is that now God is having a relationship with everyone. Everyone. That all could come to him. You didn't have to go through Moses in a tent to have your questions answered. You didn't have to go to Moses to ask and inquire about God. But Jesus was saying, come. Come here. Come everyone. And so when he says this. In Matthew 11, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. Commune with me. Have relationship with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So Jesus is saying, everyone, come to me. I am the God who hears and responds. I'm the God who sees you and wants to be in relationship with you. I had a, a friend that I've been meeting with uh, for about a year now. And he, he called and, and said he wanted to meet uh, about a year ago. And I didn't know him. He barely knew me. Uh, the first time we met, we're sitting in my office, you know, the church I used to work at. And he began to tell me of how just his life was completely falling apart. His marriage, he was on the brink of divorce. His kids hated him. He was living in a trailer. <clears throat> and I asked, where are you with God right now? And he says, I'm nowhere with God right now. I've walked away. And so we began to meet weekly. And I began to ask him about his dad and how he was, he was brought up. And his dad was a pastor, but his dad believed things in God that were just, they were just wrong. And what he believed about God actually kind of like soaked out and seeped out into how he would treat his wife and, and how he would treat his kids and how he would treat others. And my friend, we'll call him Mike. My friend Mike got this picture from his dad about God that simply wasn't true. That simply wasn't true. And my friend Mike began to pick up on that, on those untruths about God. And he began to treat his wife that way. And he began to treat his kids that way. And he began to treat others around him that way. And all of a sudden, one day, his life came completely just crashing to the ground. And as we, we began this process of unlearning everything he knew about God, and started to, to walk through the scriptures about, this is what God is really like. Not what you were told, but this is what God is really like. I asked him this question one day. I said, well, what about your marriage now? As you're on this new path with God, what about your marriage? Do you pray that your marriage would be reconciled? He said, no, 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 Jason, I could never do that. There's no way. God would never, would never answer that prayer for me. And as we began to unpack that untruth, I said, well, what about now? Would you, would you pray for your marriage to be restored? He said, Jason, listen, if I were to pray that prayer, I would actually need to live in such a way that I would want that prayer to come true, that I would want God to answer that prayer. And that is such a profound statement. Because if God is the God who who sees us, who hears and responds, 
It was true for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was true for Moses, and it's true for us. Do we live in expectation that God wants to have relationship with us and that God actually wants to speak into our lives? That God will actually hear us and that God will respond when we pray? And I think for some of us in this room, the answer is no. That we would say no. We don't live this way. I'm going to have Scott come up. We're going to continue in worship in a second. I want to pray. You just close your eyes. And as we are reminded, of God's nature, of God's goodness, that you're a God who pursues us, that you want relationship with us, that you see us and that you hear us and that you respond. Some of us here just need to confess that we've actually, we've actually treated you like a like a genie, like Amazon. And and for others of of us in this room this morning, we've just simply just not believed that you care about us and that we've lived lives that are are different or contra for what you you want for our lives, God. And and we need to say that that we're sorry. We confess to you. And for others of us in this room, we we so deeply need to hear that that you're a God who, who wants to know us who wants to be in relationship with us. And when we pray that you, that you hear us, God, and that you are moved with compassion to act, that you, are, that you are moved, your heart is compelled towards us. So God, I ask that you would, that you would work in my heart and in this room, that you would work on our hearts, even as we worship right now. As we sing this song, that you are holy and that you are good. Lord, that you would, you would reveal more and more about who you are and your deep and abiding love for us. And that would spill out into the relationships that we have. And that our life would look different because of, of our belief in you, Jesus. Amen.
Hey, you guys have a blessed week. Look forward to worshiping with you next weekend. You're dismissed. See ya.